Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, L. Russ. Today, we have David Marin. You can go to www.getflow2.com. That's G-E-T-F-L-O-2.com, one of his websites that he's affiliated with. David Marin is a German-born American fitness trainer, model, corporate wellness speaker, and entrepreneur. Let's just start with the fact that David has appeared on more than 40 fitness magazines um, for his physique and expertise in the area of fitness. He was in a documentary called The Perfect Physique. Uh, his training is in all areas from you know several mixed martial arts arenas, meditation, biofeedback, free weight training. Uh, and advanced biohacking techniques. But we're also going to talk about something that, as a podcaster, when you see in a bio, jumps out at you, which is a near-death experience and a five-day coma for pulmonary embolism in 2015. So we're going to get into a lot today. And um, this wonderful, smart lad was introduced to me by Sean Wells, who was on our podcast. That's podcast 378. Sean Wells is a master formulator and just an all around incredible brain and mind and a lovely person. And we want to give a shout out. Uh, he introduced me to David. So welcome to the show, David. Awesome. Thank you so much, Al. I really appreciate it. Appreciate your time. And also shout out to Sean Wells, the super nice guy who's, who's a formulation master. He's so nice. Everyone, go check out his Instagram handle at Zone Halo, Z O N E H A L O. He's really smart, super sweet, such a nice person. Okay, but enough about him. Enough about that, dude. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, listen. For let's let's start with this uh, mm, model. I mean, listen. What a crazy endeavor that you have to go through to have a constantly perfect physique, or what is considered pipe perfect by those standards. Um, where did you start with that in life? Wow. You know, I, I was off. I often ask myself the question, why did you do this? Um, you know, why did I objectify myself in such a way? But, you know, it's a funny story. Uh, I went through a divorce and I was really, I was a financial manager for an auto dealer group for seven years with my family. And then when the divorce happened, I was like, you know, I didn't want to go home to an empty home and I didn't want to work 60 hours a week to pay a mortgage for a place that was empty. So I had this call it an act of desperation. I just said, you know, I'm just going to forget everything, abandon all of this kind of external acquisition and gratitude through, you know, objects and just focus on being the best, you know, physically prepared, mentally tough person I could be. And I guess, you know, uh, going to New York where my kids eventually were taken, you know, I, I lived in Virginia with my ex and then she migrated north with her, her uh, new boyfriend and then ended up taking the kids. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to throw some shit against the wall and give this a shot at 28 years old. And I, uh, through a series of very cool synchronicities, I moved to New York, which happened to be uh, right down the street, coincidentally, from where my kids were living. So it all seemed kind of like Providence. And uh, I guess, you know, like having a thousand people a day tell me, no, you're not good enough, really was what I needed to hear after going through that divorce. To really, <laughs> <laughs> I 
to get me get me through that. You know? Actually, you know what? On that note, just you know, indulge us. It's like EMT stories or something. Like indulge us with some of the effed up shiz people would say to you about like if you you know if you're told you're not good enough. In what ways? I'd love to hear. Let's hear the bashing. Oh, you know, um, you know how you, when you care for somebody and you have the most intimate moments with them and you sh- you bear your soul inevitably when they kind of want to cut you out of their life, they do, they do tend to get vicious, especially me. I'm the kind of person that either is incredibly stubborn or stupid. I just didn't want to give up and she had already moved on. So she was looking for any weapon she could use to kind of just, you know, get me out of the picture. So it was always really ultimately psychologically, it was just her own projections, but it was like, you know, I'll never amount to anything, you know, um, just, Really, the, the the hard part was the the sick way of not understanding that the children are ultimately the victim in this kind of domestic uh, dispute, and they have a right to see both parents. and And ultimately, it doesn't matter what you have, what beef you have against your spouse or the mother or father of your children. You should just both kind of make a, an unspoken agreement that we're just gonna represent the rights of the kids. But, oh my God, I wish I could remember. I probably kind of just blocked half that out or maybe it's just, that's a, I mean, it's exemplary of that kind of basic tenant of, again, it's, it's usually what I call your, your wishing failure upon the person in the future. It's basically like, you're never gonna, like, I hope you fail. It's really what it is. And Sometimes I, you know, we, we have to get to the heart of that because those kind of comments are really sort of what those are. And they're sending in the moment that you go, hey, listen, you know, you were, you were 28 years old, not excusing or anything, but I'm just saying, you know, right, uh, young and um, a lot of stuff going on. But you, you really had a new chapter. I mean, you've had a couple of chapters, but this was a big one in moving on and being okay with saying goodbye. Um, and that's kind of, think, what you're sort of speaking to, Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a tremendous power in in death. You know, I mean, each day represents a new opportunity to live and learn, but each day also represents uh, another day that you'll never live again. So, I think there's a in society in general, especially in Western culture, there's a huge aversion to dealing with these small deaths on a daily basis, and then avoiding these conversations with yourself about the meaning of your life and, and what, what I don't want to sound too grandiose, but like what, what truly is your purpose in relation to, you know, your existence and how can you be a positive, uh, influential, not, not some, you know, celebrity per se, but the simple, you know, altruistic goals that you set on a daily path to just make the world a brighter place. Like my goal is to just, when people think of me, I want them to smile. That's it. So death is extremely generous, I feel, in offering us the substrate for um, tremendous amounts of, of energy, you know, like the old Zen tenant of, uh, and I'm a huge uh, reader in like, you know, Taoist philosophy and like, for example, somebody like Mushin, like uh, Musashi, you know, the Book of Five Rings, he talks about, you know, contemplating the end of your days. And I think like, that's an inexhaustible resource to kind of like propel you not in a dire kind of deterministic way, but just this opportunity that you have when you really focus on the fact that 
we do live such temporary lives. And so each chapter in my life has represented, you know, an end of what I thought was everything and meant everything to me. But in fact, behind that closed door, an amazing new chapter opened up, which exceeded my expectations for myself. And you poured yourself into this and really did amount to a lot, turns out. It turns out someone was wrong. <laughs> but we have to share that, that, that we, the ending is you're here, we're talking about your life. Um, and so in the pursuit of the perfect physique and being in this arena, I'm, you dabbled in almost everything, right? I mean, I'm sure it's, uh, there's probably not a workout you haven't <laughs> you haven't heard of, or something like that. So, uh, tell us just a little bit before we get to what happened with the near death experience. Tell us a bit about that journey, all of these years, and you know, uh, the fitness world coming up to where you are now. But that breadth of experience there. Well, you know, moving to New York. I mean, I, I would always sing that Frank Sinatra song you know, New York, New York, you know, if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere. You know, I was, you know, I was a military kid. My dad was a pilot in Vietnam. He did 40 years of military service. I come from an entire military family. And, uh, you know, I did some contract work for the military and I realized like I wanted to pay back. I wanted, I wanted to pay back in some way and I'll get kind of get to that towards the end of this. But, um, that military, mindset of, of discipline, of family, of community, um, and honoring those that have kind of paved the way. You know, I, I felt as though New York was really like, besides LA, New York was really where fitness lived and breathed. And uh, I started beating the street, you know, the old school way of doing business was, you know, like your parents or, or your grandparents would tell you, you shook hands, it was a deal that was made, it was done by honor. And when you go into an office, you know, a men's health and you knock on the door and, you know, they take Polaroids back then it was 35 millimeter and Polaroids. They submit your picture for publication, you know, and I started out as just like the, you know, the instructional fitness reference model who on this little inserts on the sides of men's health magazine, you know, and, uh, I worked with probably the most well-known fitness model at the time who passed away recently, Greg Plitt who was an airborne ranger and stuff. And, uh, him and I were pretty close, but just being in New York and kind of facing the slamming door and standing in a cattle call with guys that were taller than you, that had, you know, better looking than you, that were, had more experience than you or better sh in shape than you, you, you really have to look at yourself and reduce yourself down to what is it about you that makes you believe in what you're doing. And it can't be about anything that you're looking at around you. It can't be comparing yourself to someone else. It has to be this understanding that you're on a journey that this is just a means, you know, to get you across this river, to get you to the next phase of your journey. And uh, it's not easy. You know, I get consultations. People ask me, I'm, you know, I do business development for young, you know, trainers who want to brand themselves. And it, it, it's a frustrating, arduous endeavor nowadays to kind of make yourself stand out because the market is so saturated with people, you know, trying to say that they're the next expert. And I learned from the, the you know, the school of hard knocks, you know, walking the street and uh, just talking to people, you know, creating genuine relationships that you can cultivate through word of mouth, through deed, uh, through integrity and, uh, you know, showing up and doing the work and being ready. And 
I learned pretty quickly. I kind of had the Minuteman philosophy of just, you know, if my rent could be paid, you know, on you know one day's notice of a job in New York City, then I had to develop a plan of always being ready. So that kind of was the template for me um, to reduce my life to be as minimalistic as possible, um, to center on what are the essential things to cultivate personal growth and excellence in uh, mental discipline and physical um, to be my physical best. And so that, you know, sharpened me up. So when obviously anybody knows you've lived in a huge markets like that, when you get out of those markets, you feel like you were shot put it into the future. And then you go back to your old small town where you came from and you're like, Jesus, these people are still doing this. You know, it's like some type of time warp you went through. And, uh, you know, I have New York to thank for that. You know, uh, it was, it was tough. But, uh, you know, it rubbed off on me. Thank God. So before we get into some of the product, like the things you've developed, which are amazing, I'm quite the entrepreneur and have really created, uh, contributed so much to this space. In the process of growth in your life, from when you were young until now, if you could go back in time and talk to your young guy self, what would you teach your young self about being a man that you have learned on the road? If you could give a young man the heads up and be like, hey, uh, one thing I really wish I would have known sooner or would have gotten to sooner or, you know, you know where I'm getting at, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, a very powerful, um, a very powerful quote and a notion I think that's passed around and not a lot is in the space of inspiration is, uh, you know, life is, is, uh, it's what happens to you and it's how you react to what happens to you. That's essential. You know, it's your reactive mind. And I would agree with that, but I also, you know, it's the doors of perception that have to be checked. You know, it's not exactly what's happening to you. It's how you perceive what's happening to you. And in many situations, my advice to any young man or even to my younger self is just, you know, there's a whole realm. It's kind of like when they talk about quantum theory and how there's a wavelength of possibilities that can collapse at any moment based on the observer's perception of what's going on like there's a lot of possibilities and if you get outside of this narrow bandwidth that you tell yourself this is case in point what's happening to me this is absolutely what i need to do based on this just give yourself a second put yourself in someone else's shoes or even better just ex- play the what if game you know what if this scenario you know, in circumstances were different or it happened this way because of this other thing that you're not aware of. Start paying attention to what you're not aware of. And then you can kind of, it works for you in, in many different ways. That, that mindset of opening yourself up to, to what you're not aware of can also bring and forth new energy and can cultivate a new perspective in regards to opportunity. Not just giving other people the benefit of the doubt and kind of arresting inappropriate um, reactions to situation based on current data, but like you can really start honing in on kind of the the field of space and energy that you could have had available if you weren't in this kind of victim mindset of these circumstances they're happening to me. They're coming from outside of my control. Wise up, dude. You know, just accept the fact that you're responsible for these things that have happened to you. 
Don't react to the circumstances. Let the wave pass and then wait for the right wave to ride, you know? Nice. I like it. You've coached so many people from like, you know, NBA stars, celebrities, so many people in this arena. You've been a trainer for so long. You developed an at-home training regimen. Can we talk about that? Yeah. uh, I've always been challenged by small spaces, you know, living in New York and then, of course, going through divorce and kind of liquidating all my furniture several times. Uh, And, you know, being domesticated, you know, uh, marriage is a partnership. And then when you have kids, yeah, I have four children. So I have two sets of boys, two sets of girls. So raising kids, it's kind of like, I'm a hypocrite if I tell them to to put their stuff away in their room and then I've got my workout stuff all over the living room. So I've always had to create small spaces that I would call like, you know, my power generators, you know, I would, so I, I created a, a piece of equipment that I worked with several different triathletes out of Sweden and they came up with what's called friction training. So the, so the idea is it's, it's a flat, plastic board with a patented surface that provides uh, 30%. It's a friction surface. So it, it adds 30% resistance on top of your body weight. So what Whoa, you're gonna, that's kind of spooky. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're on this kind of, you know, you've seen gliders and stuff like that. It's similar to gliders, but with gliders, there's no friction surface. So there's not as much resistance where, links is you know a board on the ground that you is free motion that requires all the stabilizers you know you can do hit training on it you can do um you can do cardiovascular training you can do so many you can do rehab on it it has so many different applications but in principle why it's so effective is it's a small space you have hand and feet pads and you're going to do as many points of contact on that board to generate as much friction off that board. And uh, it's great for the core. So that was really out of necessity. I wanted to create something that I knew could be stored very easily that was um, not – that was working on all planes. It wasn't something that was going to impact the joints um, something that was going to be very effective at burning fat and increasing cardiovascular capacity, um, core stability, and all of those things that would really work in tandem with any pre-existing training protocol, whether it's you know CrossFit or you could use it as an adjunct to any training. And so that's how I kind of work from home. You know, when I do my homework, it's kind of like I want something to be you know, active recovery or just cardiovascular or, you know, I call it blunt force trauma, you know, really short and very challenging, hard hits of high heart rate, you know, short duration. So that, that piece of equipment really kind of opened up myself out of like my paradigm. It broke, it forced me, developing that forced me to break my habits, which were going to the gym going to a class, you know, because let's face it, a lot of people out there need that motivation. And I felt as though that that was a crutch. Like, how am I supposed to train others or motivate others or speak in front of people and move them if I can't, if I don't have the guts to move myself when I'm sitting on my couch or I can't just do a workout really quick because 
because I have the impulse and I need something there to fulfill that. So that's basically what, in a nutshell, what that product did for me. It kind of helped me evolve. It's awesome. Yeah. And if people want to check it out, we'll put everything in the show notes, but it's linksfitness.com, L-Y-N-X. And then what on this earth happened to you in 2015? A near-death experience and a five-day coma? So you're going to have to get into that. Yeah. (laughs) I want to hear all about that, not to laugh, but it's just like, whoa, that's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely a life changer. Um, yeah, I crashed, you know, um, you don't know your limit until you, you cross it. You know, you don't know your, your threshold, but you can't come back from until you've exceeded your limits. So, you know, in 2015, I was just going on for a run and, uh, just like any normal thing, I was doing some sprints and I started feeling some kind of congestion. I came back and when, Within two hours, I had so much congestion. Uh, my heart rate was 165, resting. And uh, what do you mean by congestion? Because we think I think congestion. A lot of people would think of as like stuffy, hard to breathe, coughing up junk like a cold. So, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm talking about you know deep, um, like when someone's had bronchitis. But usually, you know, with the onset of bronchitis, it's kind of a slow, gradual progression. Think of Full onset bronchitis where you're wheezing, coughing, can't get the phlegm up. You're basically drowning. And So yeah, like just that, a sudden – like you're like suddenly all of a sudden you're like in full-blown symptoms like that. Yeah, like imagine drowning. Like that's – this is the best way I can describe it is imagine drowning. Uh, you know, you, you've gone underwater too long or something's happened or you're playing around. And, you know, kids when they learn how to swim, they've had that kind of scare, you know. Yeah. You feel like you're drowning, you're panicking, you can't breathe, shortness of breath. My oxygen saturation, I think, was like, I don't know, 70%. It was like very, very low per breath. And I was, my heart was just struggling to keep the oxygen through my body. My organs were shutting down. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I had no idea what was going on. So I kind of like didn't understand the crisis. But fortunately, you know, I had a friend who picked me up and took me to the hospital, like, stat and the EMTs were like, dude, you're having a pulmonary embolism, man. So they, they intubated me, which is even more crazy. It's like, imagine you're drowning and then someone's stuffing a tube down your throat. You know, it's like people holding you down or straining you and your will to live is super strong. And, you know, at that time I was 225 pounds. I was, you know, I was setting PRs. I was like the kind of like at the end of the peak of, of my training as far as, you know, CrossFit and weight training and things. So yeah, they, um, I had an, un, I have an, a heart tumor. So I have, it was undiagnosed at the time. And that's the reason for the embolism. I have an actual tumor in my heart that's bouncing around in there. It's called a atrial myxoma. It's a vegetative growth on the uh, inside of the wall, the atrium. And it doesn't necessarily impair the function of the heart at this point. But what it does is if ever I get super run down or, uh, you know, get any kind of bronchitis or upper, upper respiratory infection or staph infection, some serious bacterial or viral infection, you know, that builds up in the blood and it built up in this tumor. And then that tumor just spit out a clot. And then that went into my lungs and then that was it lights out five days. So, uh, a lot happened in those five days. First, I mean, my people ask me, you know, did you see the light at the end of the tunnel? And, you know, I don't know. Nope. <laughs> Lights out. 
But what I can tell you is what was interesting is 3 a.m. So, so I was induced into the coma October 4th, 2015. I actually revived myself uh, at 3 a.m. on October 9th, which is my birthday. So I literally woke up and was reborn on my birthday. Was that and close to the time of your birth? <laughs> That'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah. 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 It actually was. Oh, if you no. fact, the time difference. That's insane. Um, yeah. It was nuts. Like literally so, on your, seriously, like literally. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, nope, soul, go get back in there. But I, I saw myself, I was disembodied consciousness. I actually saw myself above myself and was later confirmed that it wasn't a hallucination because it was, I had identified three people that were in the room. Um, so when I got consciousness again, I asked these three people, were you in the room? And they all said, yes. So it was very strange, very somewhere in between dream state, disembodied consciousness. I mean, we can speculate. I'm sure someone like Richard Dawkins would have a very logical explanation on the neurological things that would you know, biochemical things that would be happening. But from a subjective stance, I saw myself above myself, jump back in my body and woke, woke the fuck up. <laughs> so man, aren't you glad uh, you did? Oh my God. Nice. Yeah. Good work. <laughs> nice job. Well, I can't take full responsibility for <laughs> that's it. That's right. There's something else working there. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's, that's amazing. What a, what a life changer. Yeah, it was. There was some bizarre circumstances too, some some synchronicities. I think I brought something back with me. I have I've had this connection with cell phones and I've been able to kind of like run unfinished dialogue in my mind and somehow it comes through the phone. Like I don't even have Siri activated, but I'll give you an example. Like shortly after I woke up, uh, my sister is an oncologist and my ex-girlfriend was in the, in the room. So they bear witness to this. The phone started acting really weird. It turned on, it turned off, it turned on. And then it was like scrolling through pictures super fast. And, you know, I told my girlfriend at the time, just turn the phone off, please. And then it turned on again by itself. And of course it security coded with the fingerprint ID and it turned on and it started opening up pictures and it opened up a picture. We started watching it, you know, we would let it just kind of run through its thing and it opened up a picture that was taken of me when I was first intubated in the hospital and it zoomed in on my face, you know, like all in a coma, like with the tubes and stuff. And then it zoomed out and all these texts and I'm talking about L, I am talking about lightning fast, um, you know, operation of this cell phone through programs and different applications that I've never seen done by anybody, you know, tech savvy. So anyway, it pulls up a, a picture of, um, uh, through a text message of, and I want to get too religious about this. You know, my grandmother was Catholic and stuff and she used to pray, uh, about our, our, you know, her grandkids through the rosary and stuff. And, uh, I guess my sister sent a picture of the rosary and it's the phone zoomed in on this picture of the rosary and pulled it up really quickly all by itself. And I was like, wow, that, that was incredible. Shortly after the doctor comes in, the cardiologist and says, wow, you know, you dodged a bullet. Happy to see you back. We gave you a 50, 50 prognosis. You were septic. You're Oh, you're like, thanks buddy. Yeah. Thanks for the, <laughs> you could have left that. I didn't need to hear that and shit. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, you dodged a bullet, but you're not out of the woods yet. So then he proceeds to tell me, yeah, we needed to do open heart surgery. I'm like, oh man. 
So Freaky, the phone turns on shortly after he leaves. And by this time, we're kind of like, you know, our phone is now the Oracle of Delphi. So we're receiving. <laughs> You're in the Matrix for sure. I'm telling you. Neo and Morpheus were sending downloads. So the, the phone turns on. It dials this old client I had who come to find out is dating a cardiologist just two weeks prior. Just started dating this cardiologist. So, of course, you know, everyone in the hospital was like, we need to, you know, do the operation. It's, you know, life threatening and all that. So my phone automatically through some, you know, cosmic awareness dialed up my old client who's dating a cardiologist who gave me the opinion, his professional opinion, that I shouldn't have to get surgery, which ultimately I think really maintained the course and changed some things in my life. So it was a huge token. Okay, that's amazing it was incredible it really was with the other people in the room were they like what the to this day they must be like i've never seen any shit like this in my life. yeah yeah 100 percent. they we, i mean it's a topic of conversation quite often and you know it doesn't stop i get weird things that happen all the time with the phone I'm, you know that that debate between you know i mean isn't it is it like safe for you to have a phone because it seems like it's like self-hacking and yeah. doing crazy shit <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's my future self that's already integrated with AI. It's like sending back downloads saying, no, we need you. You need to go back to some old school carrier pigeon telecommunications. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's really fascinating. So, and that's ever yeah, since you woke that. up your coma, it's just you and your brain and some phones just doing crazy stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I try yeah. to, wow. I try to, to, I try now to, kind of eliminate things and simplify things. I was on a mission before the coma to just achieve as much as I could and, you know, use force, you know, you know, use the force, Luke, like everything's about applying force. And I was like, you know, there, I think, I I think there's something greater at work, um, more subtle at work. Um, yes, of course you have to have the discipline and the structure in, you know, already intact for those kind of nuanced, energetic phenomena to occur. But I think, uh, ultimately people can lose their lives and their happiness in the minutia of trying to force things, you know, and then comes the question, well, is it spirit or is it ego? Is it energy or is it just your fucking will, man, just your fucking will, you know, it's, uh, so now my, my approach is just, you know, be more sensitive, be more aware understand, you know, there's a specific task in every situation, if you're aware enough that you can apply your energy to for the, you know, for reciprocity, for mutual benefit of all parties involved. So, and you eventually then were inspired to create a supplement after this too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a very uh, short term memory. (laughs) So, um, as soon as I, I used sauna and I used some various almost Wim Hof style techniques of breathing for oxygen retention because, you know, they gave me a oxygen saturation uh, metric that I had to adhere to to make my lungs healthy again and all this stuff. So, you know, I researched, you know, Rhonda Patrick's studies on the sauna and dry sauna and just um, – just rehabbing the heart, you know, not getting into exercise and strenuous stuff and not dealing with cortisol. And so I rehabbed myself and then completely forgot about the fact that I almost died and went out to Thailand and started doing Muay Thai and exposing myself to, you know, to germs that I had not been familiar with my entire life and then ended up getting sick. 
10,000 miles away from my doctor. It's like, oh my, what are you thinking? You know, those moments where you're like, oh, I. <laughs> yeah. We call that violating one of the primal blueprint principles, which is avoid stupid mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it enough. Like, don't be dumb. So uh, there I was caught in that dumbfounded moment, regretting, why am I here? And then, of course, through a series of breathing and calming down, I formulated a plan. So I allocated that energy to strategy. The next morning, I went to an old Thai uh, herbalist, you know, of course, and I'm asking him, does he have this and that? No, no. And I'm thinking, are you saying no because you don't understand what I'm saying? Are you saying no because you don't have it? And then finally, he hands me this kind of little vial of what looks like Hulk's blood. It's like this dark green viscous kind of oil with Thai writing with like, so he pours it in my hand. And he tells me, you, you know, you need this one. You, you smell this one. Good for you. So that's my best tie, by the way. Um, so it's yeah, pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. Um, so I started nebulizing this in my hands. You know what's interesting is like in Thailand, you know, they they kind of use this kind of prayer where they kind of they almost like bow to you with their hands together in prayer form, and they always say thank you. You know, after everything, it's like incredible um, show of respect. You know, and. When he gave me this and I could breathe, and I'm telling you, it cleared, I don't, it acted like an expectorant and it opened up my nasal pathways so effectively. And then when he gave me that thank you afterwards, I said, my God, this is it. The Western world needs this. And I started understanding how breathing in terms of recovery between exercise sets you know, oxygen saturation protocols, opening the airways. And it went, I went down a rabbit hole. I mean, I, you can ask a million people, you know, like how, how do human beings, you know, how do you remove fat from your body? And it's a very nuanced thing, but 80% of fat is excreted through breathing. So, so many people don't know that. And if your respiration is compromised, you know, how are you going to access, you know, the, I guess the potential of your physiology if you're not even breathing correctly. So it was a, these very, very simple things that I started applying and everything started working better phenomenally enough. So yeah, I created a product that opens the nasal pathway, allows more nitric oxide production through nasal breathing, uh, opens up the bronchial airways and allows you to use oxygen better for performance or for whatever, for study, um, so, you know, breathing is just the shit, I like to say. <laughs> oh, man, that's a mug right there. Yes, breathing is the shit. Breathing is the shit, yeah. Okay, so that's and so we can go, and people can go to getflow2.com. That's G E T F L O, the number two.com, if you want to learn more about that. Do you tell us what's in there, or is this all secret? What's no, happening? No, what do we... no, it's, it's, <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's rocket fuel. It's, uh, no, it's, um, it's a, an organic essential oils blend. Uh, a few of the things, you know, the Western world will be aware of, like, you know, wintergreen and menthol and camphor that you can get in kind of Walgreens that you'll smell like Bengay or something. And then um, some of the other things that are kind of more subtle, like, you know, jasmine and uh, rosemary, you know, they act on the CNS. So, you know, already when you're when you breathe, you're going to access the parasympathetic nervous system. But when you use jasmine and you use kind of essential oils to kind of trigger an altered state, you know, a relaxation response, you're able to kind of relax the fascia and you're able to draw in oxygen and retain breaths for longer periods of time. 
And it really acts almost like it's my therapy. It triggers me immediately. It puts me in that space. Like some people need tea. Some people need, you know, uh, chanting. Some people need yoga. For me, it's this product. It really just delivers itself. It opens me up and allows me to get into that state of, of really – and people – you know, use respiration as synonymous with relaxation. Not so much. I mean, for me, I use just deep breaths are so essential and breathing patterns are so essential for everything. Um, but yeah, no, the formula is on the website. Uh, some of the studies in regards to obviously the benefits of breathing better I've cited in relation to the product and then some of the effectiveness and some of the associative studies that show you know, the, the proprietary blend ingredients and how they help with respiration and act as a decongest, decongestant and expectorant. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty neat, unique product. You nebulize it. You just spray it in your hands and you breathe it in real deep and you go out there for a run and you feel like you feel better, feel good. Um, I will point out, and it's kind of funny, but so on your website, you know, well, it's not funny, but so we talked about your coma and you have a photo of you with the tubes and everything. And there's a photo of you. You're like, Oh my God. But here's the thing about the photo because you were a damn male model or like perfect all the time. You look actually great. Like I've never seen anyone come and look good. Like I'm looking at this photo and I'm like, my God, it almost looks like an actor in a photo. Like you're tan, your, your chest, like you look ripped. And I'm like, damn, man, like you can't even lose in a coma. Like what? <laughs> they photoshopped my uh, coma photo big time. I had to Photoshop it, you know. Can't post a bad photo. That's hysterical. No, that's, that's hilarious. Um, really, yeah. no, that is that stands out because you're like I've never seen a photo where someone looks healthy in the coma, but you actually probably because you were had to keep up with like the tan and everything. <laughs> like, yeah, actually, did you do not post a bad photo of me? I let my, uh, my publicist like have it. No, not that exactly. one. This the makeup one. artist in there are just like. Tinting you up before. Oh. Yeah, pat him down. It's a little shiny. <laughs> That's great. Um, all right. Well, listen, we will put all of the the links to connect with you in the show notes to everything that we've been talking about today. In Aside from your products that we've discussed, in do you still coach? In what ways can we benefit from you and your coaching um, or just in general? How can we learn more about you other than, you know, following you on social media? Yeah. I mean, that, that would be the thing. I'm going to I'm involved in a couple of cool different projects right now. I'm involved with a project that uh, with a doctor here, you know, since Trump signed a uh, right to try for people that have depression or PTSD or terminal illness, um, we're looking into ketamine treatments and for people with severe PTSD, um, mostly for the vets. You know, we're, we're looking to zero in and help the vets with some non-conventional kind of therapies and so I'm going to be involved in that with six-time Mr. Olympia Dorian Yates, who um, runs. He kind of heads up an ayahuasca retreat at this uh, at this location called Soltara, which is in Costa Rica. So we're trying to develop a network of um, mind-expanding experiences that can kind of rewire the neurochemistry, so people can address certain things in a more subtle way versus prescription drugs. So um, a lot of the proceeds in the future will be going to the vets. So that's one thing I'm super excited and pumped to be involved with. And if people can just follow me on social media, I'll give you updates on that. And then, um, you know, every day I try to post something that's not only like provocative and inspiring and motivational, but 
um, just kind of challenging to kind of put your finger on the pulse of where you're at, what's important to you, and why why aren't you doing that right now? Why aren't you focusing on that right now? So um, there's a lot of creative things and creative ways to <clears throat> to get into that. But another project I'm going to be doing in April is uh, like a high performance lifestyle retreat, which will be out in Thailand, in Koh Samui, on an island with, I don't know if you know, um, Icon Meals. So the CEO of Icon Meals, Todd Abrams, he's going to be out there. Um, James Grage, which is, well, he was formerly with BPI Supplements. Now he's under Sun. So he has a, a bunch of, uh, he has his own fitness app with fitness bands and he's in the fitness space. He's a super good family. These are good family people, you know, and we want family, community. We want, you know, health and knowledge of self. So, um, you know, if you follow me on social media, that's really how you're going to get the, the nooks and crannies from me. You're, you're going to get the actual cider of this apple. Ha. Well said. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and everyone else. I will see you next week. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. It used to be called Primal Calm. And the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight or flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout, but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day. This stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.